All right, good morning again. 11 o'clock service. Glad you're here. Glad you made it. If you have your Bible, let's go to the scriptures. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1 if you can. Luke chapter 1 as you turn in your Bibles or in your iPhones, your iPads, or your Samsungs and Androids and all the other stuff. (laughs) Got to be inclusive, you know, Androids and stuff too. Um, We're excited about what God's been doing in our church this year, and we are going to conclude our teaching vision for the year with a... uh, five-part series on the Christmas story. And so today we're officially kicking off a collection of messages that we're calling A Very Gospel Christmas. And uh, we'll be looking particularly at Luke chapter 2 for the next four weeks. Today I'm going to do Luke 1, but then the next four weeks we'll be in Luke 2. So if you want to jump ahead and start reading, start thinking about some of these things, every Sunday we're going to gather around that Christmas story and just maybe see something about it we've never saw before. Um, I, I wasn't raised in church, so I believe that like, when God speaks, it's a big deal. And so, like, if he wants to speak to us about something, um, we approach the scriptures with a heart of, okay, God, speak to me. If you come into church and you think, okay, let's get this word and let's get on with it, probably not going to get anything out of it. But if when we gather for the next 30 minutes, 40 minutes, we're going to be in the scriptures, if we have a heart that says, God, I believe you'll speak to me about something, just that willingness moves his heart. You know, he didn't make us to be robots that just do what he says. He wants to hear the emotions. He wants to hear the struggle. He wants to hear what you're going through because he'll, he promises to respond to that. Someone say, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right, Luke chapter one, when you got it, say, I got it. Here reads the word of the Lord. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And as she entered the house of Zechariah, she was greeted by Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the mom of John the Baptist. Mary is the mom of Jesus. Verse 41 says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth knows that Mary's carrying Jesus. She's like, Whoa, why did I deserve the honor that the woman carrying my Lord would come to me? Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I want to use this passage of scripture to kind of jump us into a thought this morning. Um, The title of my message is, When Your Baby Leaps. When Your Baby Leaps. I believe as a Christian, God has called you to carry something. And when you get around the right people, there's a sense of like confirmation in you. And that's what we're going to go after today. So let's do it. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Turn to somebody and say, you're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I met my wife uh, you know, almost over 10 years ago now. You know, got introduced to her through church. Best place to meet someone. And um, really felt like there was some things that I knew about her that she was different. You remember when you had your first date with like your spouse or the person you're with now, just the sense of like, whoa, there was something different about her. And so we decided to go on a date. I asked her on a date, went and talked to her dad because, you know, young men, that's still pretty cool to do. Yep. Go talk to the dad, even if it's a date, all right? It just sets you apart from all those other clowns. So as soon as you say, can I, can I take your daughter on a date? It's a level of respect right away that he's like, oh, wow, you're asking. And uh, I think he said, yes, but if you break her, I'll break you. <laughs> So we're doing great today, still married. Um, But I remember going on our first date and kind of knowing, like, 
this, this, there's something different about her. And, and, you know, when you go on a date with someone, you're looking for those things to connect on. And so we sat down. Our first date was at a yogurt land, frozen yogurt. And so we went to frozen yogurt, and it was August, so it was, you know, 130 in the desert. And uh, we got our yogurt, had to eat it real fast because it melts out there quicker than out here. And um, as we're sitting there talking, she starts telling me about her life, starts telling me the things she likes, starts telling me about her faith. And it's like she talked about her faith, and I was like, ooh, okay. You know, okay, I can get with that. A girl's got faith, all right. She starts telling me about, like, what she wants to do with her life. I'm like, ooh, mm, something in me. You know, and, and then she said the kind of music she liked. She said, you know, I, I like all kinds of music, but I really like some of these, like, old stuff. And I go, what do you mean? Like, how old? You know, because everyone has a different idea of old school. You say old school to somebody, we're talking, like, 70s? We're talking 60s? She goes, no, I like, like, Frank Sinatra, and I like, like, Nat King Cole and that stuff. And I said, oh, she's an old soul, right? And just something in me was like, whoa. Now, it's not just because she said she liked music that I was like, oh, this is a girl for me. There was other things. But in that moment, I felt like there was a confirmation that this was the person that I was supposed to spend my life with. I think if we're honest, we are all looking for confirmation in life. We're looking to find out if the thing we're doing is actually going to pay off. We're looking to find out if the faith we have is actually legit. Like we're looking to see that if we're doing the right thing, making the right moves, going to the right places. And I got to be honest with you, God loves to confirm things. He loves to show you that he is who he says he is. I'm always interested when I meet like a young person or a college student and they say like, yeah, I kind of believe. And I go, what do you mean? And they say, well, there's just some things that I'm like looking for. There's some things that I want to touch and feel before I subscribe to this belief. And all they're saying is, I need some confirmation here first. In our church, we welcome that. We invite skepticism because we believe that an encounter with God can blow any skeptic out of the water. Okay, I can't sit here and try to make the scriptures logical because there's things about God that just don't make sense. But there is a principle to trying and being hungry and at least looking for the confirmation. As we opened up the Gospel of Luke, is one of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke's a little different than Matthew, Mark, and John in the sense that Matthew, Mark, and John were raised in the ways of Judaism. They, they come from a Jewish background. They write with a Jewish perspective. Luke is a Gentile. Luke did not get raised up in Judaism. He doesn't understand the Torah. So what he's doing is he's going around and he's investigating about Jesus. So he probably went directly to Mary and said, hey, tell me about when the angel came and spoke to you. He probably went directly to, to the guy that got lowered through the roof and said, tell me about that. Because he didn't follow Jesus, he just got the investigation notes from other people. Luke himself was looking for confirmation. Luke's a doctor, so he notices all the physical miracles of Jesus. Every physical healing Jesus did, you can find it in Luke. The Bible tells us that Luke was more faithful than other early age disciples. The apostle Paul has a line in 2 Timothy 4 where he says Luke was one of the only ones that stuck with him to the end. So Luke has a heart for, for the kingdom. He has a heart for God, but just like you and I at times, he's looking for confirmation to see if this is really true. There's two visitations that he's going to describe in Luke chapter one. He first tells us about Zechariah, who gets visited by an angel to say that they're going to give birth to John the Baptist. The second one is Mary which many of us know probably more historically, the mother of Jesus gets visited by an angel and he, she is told, you're gonna carry Jesus. Two angelic visitations that we'll look at very quickly and both of them set up this moment where Mary and Elizabeth's babies leap. Okay, if you're gonna do something great for God, you have to get around some people that confirm what he's already doing in your life. If you get around people that say, ah, why are you always going to church on Sunday? Probably not the best people to be around. 
Because I've learned this about people. They'll either push you closer to Jesus or they'll distract you from Jesus. I don't, personally, I don't think there's neutral ground with God. Either you are following him and becoming more like him or you are going the opposite direction. And so we need people in our lives that are going to push us to do better, to become better, to trust God more. Two angelic visitations. One takes place in Jerusalem. One takes place in Nazareth. Why is this important? Jerusalem is like the hub of religious activity in the day. Okay, let's, let me show you the map. Jerusalem is in the center of antiquity at those days. And so all the activity that would be like for festivals, for sacrifices, it would always happen at Jerusalem. We talked about the series on uh, the Psalms of Ascent last year. And we did a whole series on the Psalms they would sing as they went to Jerusalem, as they went up to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's where the prestigious religious leaders are. It's where the temple is. It's where the sacrifices are done. You know, people travel from around that, that, that time to get to Jerusalem. And God speaks to Zechariah there. But then God speaks to Mary too. And she's not in Jerusalem. She doesn't come from a prominent family. She is a nobody at this point. And Nazareth is actually kind of on the outskirts. Nazareth would have been considered like, you know, the rough part of town. So much so that when someone said, we found Jesus of Nazareth, the response was, what good can come out of Nazareth? Do do you see this? God is going to get a hold of you no matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you live in the nicest of the nicest or the lowest of the lowest. When he wants to get a hold of you, he will find a way. I was talking to a friend recently who planted a church in Washington and uh, just getting started and was talking to him. And I said, how's the church going? How's, you know, how'd the ministry come to be? How'd you make decision to plant a church? And he says, oh, well, you know, God told me about five years ago and I just ran from it. And I said, we were allowed to run. <laughs> and he says, yeah, he, God told me and I just told him No. I said, we're allowed to say no because the God I read about is the one that orchestrates all of it to make sure he can get in front of you. The God I read about is the one that will make sure you got a flat tire just so you meet that person that needs to give you that word. The God I read about is the one that will get you in alignment with people you maybe don't like, but they're people you need. And so from Nazareth all the way down to Jerusalem, he is orchestrating the coming king. He is orchestrating the coming of the Lord. And it's one of those things that we can't take credit for. We can't say it was a coincidence. There's things that he did that showed us this was his plan the whole time. Okay, let's start with Zechariah's story. Zechariah is found in Luke chapter one. And I wanna say it's verse eight. And we're gonna read about how Zechariah gets visited by an angel first. And then we'll go back to Mary and Elizabeth and see what they're up to. Verse eight says, Now, while he was serving as a priest, so Zechariah is a priest. He's in the lineage of Aaron. He has responsibilities at the temple. It says, now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. Okay, burning incense is a callback to Exodus chapter 30. God told Moses, when you worship me, I want you to light this incense so that there's a fragrance that fills the tabernacle. Okay, in the New Testament, incense is referred to as our prayers now. So when we pray, it's like incense. It's being going up before God. It's a sacrifice and it goes up before him. Okay, in Zechariah's days, there was probably 20,000 eligible priests to serve at the church. And... Um, They would have drawn straws, basically. It was called casting lots, but they would have drawn straws to figure out who was going to burn the the incense at this day, okay? So it says, according to the custom, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10 says, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside 
at the hour of incense, and there, everyone say there. There, there. say there. there. There, an angel appeared to him. While he was at the altar, while he was lighting incense, while he was doing what he thought was a coincidence, I drew a straw. You know, God was aligning that the entire time. Okay, it's no coincidences with God. So it says as he's there doing his duties, the Bible says the angel visits him. Lighting the incense, I don't know if you understand this, lighting the incense would have been like the second most prestigious job in the temple. 20,000 priests, they had to draw straws. If you were the one to light the incense, this is a big deal. Besides the high priest, this is like the second most important thing to do. Let me show you what the temple looked like real quick. Okay, uh, uh, Zechariah would have been right there at, the, at that altar, and he would have been lighting it. Behind those purple curtains are what's known as the Holy of Holies. So once a year, the high priest could go behind those curtains, and he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of Israel, right? This is why when Jesus died, You remember one writer says that the veil was torn? And the Bible says that the veil tore from the bottom to the top. If you go back and read your New Testament, it doesn't just say it was torn. It says from the bottom to the top to show us that's what the gospel does. It brings people from the bottom, the last shall be first, and brings them to the top, okay? So when the gospel came, a little side note, when the gospel came, it opened up this way for us to where we don't have to burn incense anymore or sacrifice goats what we do is pray. What we do is repent. What we do is, you know, confess our sin. And that now is what gives us access back there. So as he's doing his duties, imagine if he looked to the right, there would be standing an angel. And there's nine things that this angel tells him that I want to go through very quickly. Okay. First thing the angel says, verse 13 says, don't be afraid. I want to remind you in those days, angels weren't these kind of like effeminate beings that were just like very like, you know, like these were like, I don't even know what this is, like, you know. <laughs> harps, you know, I don't know. These are like massive warrior looking dudes. Like this is Gabriel that appears next to Zechariah. So as Gabriel appears, he would have like, whoa, like fallen back. The angel uh, that appears to the wise men about Jesus, they do the same thing. They're like, whoa. So the first thing he says is don't be afraid. The second thing is your prayer has been heard. Zechariah is old old at this time. You know, we believe he's almost 100 years old. Elizabeth, probably pushing early 90s. They've been praying for a son for a long time. To get this confirmation that God has heard their prayer, doesn't that just bring a sense of comfort to you? It doesn't matter what you're praying about, God hears it. It doesn't matter the people that think they're closest to you, they know what you're going through, God sees a side of it that they don't doesn't matter how long you've been praying. doesn't matter how long you've been waiting. He doesn't do things on how much we want it. He do things on how much we're willing to wait for it. And sometimes waiting is how we trust. Waiting with a smile on our face sometimes is how we trust God. Waiting with a, I don't know, but I trust him is how we do it. And so to tell him, you know, you're going to have a kid, this would have been a shock to him. Zechariah, you know, he reminds me of Abraham because Abraham and Sarah had the same issue. They were too old. And God said, no, I can do things if you're willing. Maybe it's not about age then. Maybe it's not about how young you are to be used by God or how old you are to be used by God. Maybe it's about how willing are you? You know, I've seen men at the end of their life give more to God than some of the most passionate young people I've ever seen. Now, our youth ministry out in California, we had a guy in our church, in our group, his name was Grandpa Ray. 
And Grandpa Ray, his wife passed away and I had been praying about the youth ministry and I was like, Lord, just send me like a Moses. Like I need like a Moses in my life that's gonna lead us. You know, I'm, I'm young, passionate, but we need some wisdom. His wife died and the next day he came to the church and he said, uh, the Lord told me to start serving in youth ministry. He's like 75 when this happened. And I said, youth ministry, I go, you know, it's pretty loud. At the time we were doing Friday nights, about 200 kids, DJs, mosh pits, you know, we're crowd surfing during worship. And I said, it's pretty loud, man, if you, you sure. And he said, I have to. God told me I'm a Moses to this generation. He'd been praying, but never counted himself out. How much more can God do something with us when we just say, yeah, I've been praying. Maybe we don't need, maybe today you don't need to hear that your prayer is going to get answered. Maybe you just need to hear your prayers being heard. Some people get mad at God because they don't answer their prayers. How about we have a God that actually hears them though? All these other idols. I'm going to talk about idols in January. We're doing a whole series on idols. All these other gods, you just empty up empty phrases to them. But we have a God that in his word promises, I hear you and I see you and I'm with you. So he says, your prayer's been heard. Third, he says, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. Fourth thing he says is you're going to have joy and gladness at his birth. Well, a birth, you would expect those are the emotions, right? Not always the case in our world. Now it's like stress and worry and burden and not for everybody, but financially. And can I have a kid? And, da, da, da. and the angel tells him, no, you're going to have joy and gladness with this kid. Continues verse six, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 15. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. The sixth thing he says is he will be devoted to the Lord and he's not going to drink any wine or strong drink. Now, this is a callback to Numbers chapter six. This is a vow that the Nazarite people would have made. Okay, they would have said, God, for you, we're not going to drink anything. You know, they had very, they didn't cut their hair. You know, there were certain things they did. It wasn't like legalistic, like to be saved. It was just their devotion to the Lord. So when John the Baptist comes, he lives in the wilderness. He eats locusts and honey. His hair's all long. It's because he's a Nazarite. He's about Jesus. He's about for prayer in the presence of God. That's all that matters to him. Prayer in the presence of God, being obedient to God. Verse seven, he's going to be filled with the spirit and not just anywhere, but in his mom's womb, he's going to be filled with the spirit. That's crazy. Imagine a little baby on an umbilical cord, just praise breaking. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I apologize. The eighth thing is that John will bring knowledge of the kingdom, and so his responsibility will be to let people know the kingdom's coming, the kingdom's coming, the kingdom's coming. And then lastly, verse nine, John will go before him, who is Jesus, and he will go before him in the power and the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to turn hearts of the fathers to the sons, and he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John's role is going to be so important because what he's going to do is get the people ready for when the king comes. You know, in those days when the king would make its way, he would make his way into a certain town, there was somebody that would go before the king that would basically get everyone ready. The king is coming. The king is coming. Everyone would come out of their towns and villages and they would kind of watch him go by, right? This continues all throughout medieval history. This is still going on in certain villages around the world where the king comes, everyone gets ready for his arrival. Okay, if the king is coming back in our church, how ready are we getting? If he's coming back for his bride, the Bible says he's coming back. If he's coming back, are we getting ready? John will go and prepare the way. So Elizabeth gets nine things about her son from her husband. Zechariah says, here's the nine things that the angel told me. You know what this tells me? The principle I draw from it at least is this. What you're carrying is bigger than just you. What Elizabeth was carrying was bigger than just her. 
What John the Baptist would continue to preach about was bigger than just him. Even further than that, the mission that Jesus was on was bigger than just him. He was doing it for the greater good. He was seeing us when he was in those, t- those moments of testing. So much uh, so that the New Testament says, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. He, he could see it. He was going after it. So what you're carrying is bigger than you. Verse 41, one more time, and then we'll jump into some thoughts. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. What did she say? What's the first word she says? Blessed. Blessed. You want to know someone's really heard from God? When blessing starts coming out of their life. When someone says, yeah, God spoke to me about this, but they're like angry. I would say they're probably still listening. They're still struggling to see if they should listen or not. But you really meet somebody that's being obedient to God, blessing comes out of their life. I might not have everything I need, but man, God's been good. Well, you know, things aren't really going that way. Oh, he spoke to me, though. I'm going to be all right. Blessing upon you. That's the church we need to be, the church that doesn't just believe it for our personal life. We speak it into the lives of others. You're going to get through it. You can do better next time. I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. It comes from our faith and into them. So blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. When Elizabeth walked in, something confirmed in her, this is where I'm supposed to be. I remember when I walked into the doors of our home church, Destiny, for the first time. I was far from God, didn't have a relationship with God, wasn't really raised in church. And I would meet people, and I would talk to people, and every now and then someone would say something like, yeah, well, you know, it's not where you come from, it's where you're going. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I never heard a church person say that, wow. And then I would meet somebody else, and I would say, you know, I'm just in a bad place. And they would say, yeah, but God loves to take what's bad and make it beautiful. And I was like, oh, And it was like a confirmation of what I needed was here. Many of you probably would say the same thing about this spot. That when you first came to gospel and you met someone, you heard something, or you were around something, there was a confirmation, this is where I'm supposed to be. How much more content would our world be if people knew this is what I'm supposed to be doing? But a majority of our problems stem from we don't know who we are, and we don't know what we're called to. How am I going to make it? We don't know who we are. Or we we put all our resources and things that don't matter. We don't know what we're called to. What I know is like Elizabeth, we're called to carry something that's bigger than ourselves. And as a church, I've seen this time and time again. We will find fulfillment when we're after the right things. So three quick things that will leave you most fulfilled. I'm most fulfilled in my life when I find these three things. Number one, I'm most fulfilled when I find my place. And when I say place, I'm not talking about your role or your job, when I talk about place, I'm saying when you find a place that your faith can be built, when you find a place where you're not the smartest person in the room, when you find a place where you can actually learn and integrate into a community that maybe has a different life experience than yourself, that's when I think you find fulfillment. Can I go deeper here? The the Bible, I'm just thinking about it. The Bible says that God, in the beginning, he created the Garden of Eden, right? And then he creates man, And if you read the Bible, it says he places man in the garden. It doesn't say that he created man and then like, oh, where are we going to put man? You know, let's create a garden. Let's put him there. No, he had the place aligned first. He had the place figured out first, and then he put man in the place. Okay, this is why in the New Testament at the Last Supper, they go, Jesus, where are you going? And Jesus goes, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Because there's an environment your life can thrive in, and most of the times we're not doing well because we're in the wrong place. Verse 39 says this, in those days, Mary arose, went with haste, 
meaning she hurried, and she went to the hill country, to a town in Judah. Everyone say Judah. Judah's important. Judah, it's all lineage stuff, goes back to David's root and all that. But Judah means praise. So people in Judah are known for praise. That's what the word means. When Judah was talked about, people from that line, they, it's just, this is what it was. So it's important that she goes to Judah to have this conversation. That's where Elizabeth is. But I'm going to tell you next week, why did she go to Bethlehem to have Jesus? Think about this. She goes from Nazareth, the angel visits her. Then she goes to Judah. She's in the region talking to Elizabeth. When she gives birth, she needs to go to Bethlehem. Next week, I'm going to teach on why did she go to Bethlehem? Because she couldn't give birth in the wrong place. God had to get her in position before she could give birth to something. You ever felt like something in your life is stuck? Like it's just not coming to pass. It's not coming to pass. It's not coming. Like something's clogged up. Sometimes it's because God doesn't want you to give birth to something great in an environment that's not so great. Sometimes he has to remove you before he can pull what's in you out of you. There's times where I feel like I'm growing and I'm just hitting the ceiling, just hitting the ceiling, hitting the ceiling. Well, you better find somewhere else to go then. If you keep hitting the ceiling in that situation, God is a God of more, so he wants to bring you a place that will get you going again. So next week, I'll talk about what that looks like to get in the right place. But I just believe that when you find the right place, God brings things to pass. When I find my place, secondly, when I find my people. I'm most fulfilled when I find my people. Verse 40 says, and as she entered the house of Zechariah, she greeted Elizabeth. These are people that Mary needed to get around before this dream could come to pass in her life. There are certain individuals, as I mentioned earlier, that'll kind of pull you away from it. We got to be people that get around people and push them towards it, bring them closer to who God is. Okay, as our church continues to grow, and we'll celebrate one year of ministry at the end of next month, as our church continues to grow and we continue to grow in terms of attendance, you know, we can afford to not grow in terms of connection. And so as our church gets bigger in terms of numbers, we have to find our tribe. We've got to find our people within the church. This is, why, this is how churches get dysfunctional, is they, they get so big, and then people are like, well, I just don't really know anybody, because the only place of connection is Sunday morning. But as the church grows big on a Sunday, it's important we stay connected in life. You know, I can't tell you how many times I hear about a problem, and before I even can come up with a solution, the small group of that person have already figured it out. You know, this woman's really going through something, Pastor Billy, and we were at group, and we started talking, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can do this. Oh, no, it's okay. Our group already figured it out. That's how the church ought to be. When things need to be done, it's us doing it together. It's us going to the hospitals. It's us going to believe God for things. You know, I know the pastor's got to do some things, but we have a place that when we find our people, you grow even more. Okay, it's not until Elizabeth got around the right people that that confirmation came. I want to be around people that champion the gift of God in me. I want to be around people that tell me it's going to turn around for God's good. I need people that are going to hold on to me when I want to jump ship and say, I'm done with this Jesus thing. I need some people who are going to hold on and say, no, you're better than that. We need you to be here. Do you have people in your life that will encourage you? And if not, how can we as a church help you find those people? Naturally, we're a church, so we're going to be about good vibes, if you will. But at our church, we believe in transformation. That yes, you're going to get a great service every Sunday, but there's a pathway that God wants to invite each of us on. And that pathway is a life commitment to who he is. So when I find my place and I find my people, I find fulfillment. Lastly, I am most fulfilled when I find my purpose. 
Verse 41 says this, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Something changed in Elizabeth when she recognized the severity of the moment. Wow, the angel that spoke to my husband about my baby spoke to Mary about hers. Whoa, this is bigger than just me giving birth to John. Elizabeth is carrying the setup, the one that would prepare the way for the coming king. She knew her purpose. I got to tell you, as I close, purpose is tricky sometimes because we can make purpose seem real sexy without ever actually having some practical stuff. You know, do you know your calling? Do you know what God's called you to? It's like this like spiritual like thing you got to grasp for, you know, versus like you very well could be walking in your calling now, but your perspective towards it's off. Doesn't matter if you're a janitor, doesn't matter if you're a GM, doesn't matter if you work on a farm or in a factory or building tech or, you know, on YouTube, like whatever your thing is, believe God has a purpose for it. And the thing with purpose is purpose requires a proper perspective of yourself. Okay, if God calls you into purpose, but you don't think you can attain it, you don't think you're good enough or you don't think all this stuff, you'll never get to it. Purpose requires that we see ourselves the right way, that we see that God has actually done something for us. You know, I I shared with the church a couple weeks ago about this building, and uh, God bless the church that used to be here that's working with us, and I shared with the church, I said, you know, this building will cost us 260 grand, and today we're doing an offering at the end of church for it and all that. We've already raised 60, and I said, so we need to raise another 200, and I had a couple people say, whoa, 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 $200,000 is a lot of money. And I said, well, if you have the right perspective of yourself, you're not going to think you're the one that has to come up with the 200 grand. Last week, we talked about the widow's might. And remember, God doesn't measure finances like he measures faith. So we get caught up in saying, well, I can't do much because of my finances. But where's your faith at? Because he can do more with faith with a little than he can with a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm praying prayers I've never prayed in this season. My wife and I are believing God for things we've never believed for because we know the purpose we've been called to. And if God's will is for a Jesus-centered church to exist in Chautauqua County, he's going to make sure it happens. You know what my job is? Keep myself out of the way. Keep the spotlight off of me. Keep the spotlight off of, well, I think this is all just because I'm bringing a little bit to the offering. No, it's all for him. So something changes when I find my purpose because now I know why I'm here. We're living in a day and age where more people are announcing why they're here without ever and ever telling them why they're here. We have more people today. The, the Bible says God has called you by name. He named you. In Western culture, where we are today, we like to name ourselves. In Eastern thought, everyone else names you. Your parents name you, and that's how you were raised. You get a name from your father, and he names you, and your name is very important, and your name has been thought about, and your name has deep meaning. And so if we're going to have the right perspective of ourselves, we have to stop trying to concoct our own version of ourselves and be okay with God calling us who we are. I'm his son before I'm, you know, my wife's husband. I'm God's son before I'm your pastor. I'm God's son before I'm my daughter's father. Like, once we have that in alignment, well, purpose will become easy. Because I know who I am. For Elizabeth, I bet she doubted for a moment. I bet she struggled. But then the angel gave her this line. Verse 17, Luke chapter 1, says this. Speaking of John, it says, and he will turn. This is uh, Luke 1, 
verse 17. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And he will make ready for the Lord a prepared people. I bet you that when Zechariah told her about this line, she went, oh, wow, that's his purpose? John's purpose is going to be to do that? Oh, I can, I can carry him then. Do you understand whether good or bad, what you're carrying in this season has a purpose? I know Thanksgiving just passed, and for some of us in the room, it was more of a headache than it was a blessing. But I'm telling you this, what you're carrying is bigger than just you. It is preparing you for a purpose. What's our church's purpose? Very simply, to help people encounter the good news of Jesus. We go a little further. We like to do it in a simple way. We think the gospel is so deep that it can transform your life, but it's also so simple that you can understand it. There's things that I believe today as we as a church are taking this step to give and to think about where we're going to continue this purpose. There's things that I think about today where people tell me the first time they encountered the good news. Typically in church, we're kind of read it or we hear it taught, but I believe next year especially, God is setting up this church to be a place of encounter where there's some things you want to get all logical with and encounter with God, you can't figure that out. Some things you just can't explain. And so even like today, our first service, we ended church by having a time of worship. And then as we were worshiping, as the Holy Spirit was leading, people would come and give their offering. And today we're doing the same. If you're new and you know, you're just jumping in, no pressure or anything. But for the last month, we've been preparing for today. And that's our worship team to join us. Um, for the last month, we've been preparing for today. And we've been thinking about what would it look like to trust God just beyond the normal. What would it look like for us to be a church that, yes, sings the music, but also responds to it in faith? Something in your life may have leaped when you came into our church, um, but there's something about being in God's presence that every time something leaps. And so as we uh, prepare to end service, I'm going to kind of give you a breakdown of what will take place in the next 10 minutes. We're going to sing. We'll stand in a moment. We'll sing. And I want you just to trust God in this moment. As he leads you, you can come up to the altar and leave, um, leave your offering here. This is something that we've been talking about. This is something we've been asking God to give us details on. No one told you how much to give. We just asked you to talk to God about it. And as we sing this song and as we worship, um, You'll be able to step out of your seat and come and just leave it right here on the stage. There'll be communion over to the side if you'd like to partake of communion. If you like prayer, be up here praying for people. But everything that we're doing today is just to help us accomplish the purpose. Just because something in our life has leaped, our baby has leaped this year. We've seen Chautauqua County change and we're starting to see some great things, but we've got more. So today, we're going to try to accomplish that purpose together. What do we, how do we do that? How do we help people encounter the good news? Three ways. First, it starts by teaching them to believe the word. Second, we invite them to belong to community. And not just any community, but healthy community. And third, we disciple them to become like Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why we give. 
That's why we, we set all this up, not just so we can have a good church service, but so someone's life can become more like Jesus. And so I'm done. I want you to stand at this time. I want to pray for you. And our team's going to lead us in a moment of worship here. Come on. We've done this uh, at our home church every year. And for us as a church, we probably won't do it every year, but we felt like it was appropriate this year. We've been praying and we've been really considering what this would look like. And we just want to thank you guys for being a part of this. And so as we prepare to give, let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you. As we go into this time of worship, would you lead us? Would you show us? We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.